Hello, and welcome to episode 53 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this is our one year anniversary. It is. Did you guys miss us last week? We missed you guys. We did. Actually, I did miss it. (laughs) It has been one year podcasting. I can't can't believe it. Thank you to all of our listeners. Yes. You definitely make this worthwhile. Absolutely. So our numbers keep growing. Oh, it's honestly just started as a fun hobby. And now we have like a mission to advocate for victims. We have people requesting stories and messaging us and complimenting us. Such nice things are said and it's pretty awesome, awesome cocktails being sent to us. <laughs> We're listened to in 23 different countries yeah and in one of those countries singapore i guess we ranked 22 in on true the true crime, crime podcast <laughs> so <woo-hoo. laughs> thank that's you kinda, singapore that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys so much for this awesome awesome year it's been fun okay let's just jump into the show we are going to talk about true crime and paranormal in south dakota yes we are so i've got the true crime and you have the booze and the booze Okay, so this one I got from Taste of Home. They have like cocktails from every state on Uh there. And it's called the Roosevelt. Okay. And obviously Roosevelt is on Mount Rushmore. So very good. There you go. There's your link. I'm not reaching too far here. (laughs) There's your link. (laughs) But let's try it and then I'll tell you a little more about it. Okay. All right. Cheers, mom. Cheers. Woo. Yeah, initially it like smells super strong. Oh my, like you're preparing like for I like could almost taste the smell. Well, it. you're preparing for like a super strong drink, but then it's not as strong as you're anticipating. Well, it tastes pretty strong when you first put it in your mouth, right? Because this because the smell. And then after a while, it's like, well, that wasn't really that, that really bad. Wasn't bad. Yeah, I know. Interesting. So what's in it? So interesting story about the Roosevelt. According to Liquor.com, Teddy Roosevelt, he enjoyed, you know, the occasional mint julep on the White House lawn, but he was not a hard drinker at all. He actually just really enjoyed his coffee. Oh, okay. Apparently, when he was running for presidency in 1912, he sued a newspaper for libel for insinuating that he was a heavy drinker. Oh, no. But anyway, so I guess when he was coming home from an expedition to British East Africa, it was required to serve this cocktail when he returned home. Now, the cocktail then was Cuban rum, Italian vermouth, English gin, French absinthe, and German Kirschwasser. Mm-hmm. Kirschwasser. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's cherry, what I said. Cherry water. And was served in a Venetian glass. Oh my gosh, he's in all countries. Yeah. <laughs> so over time, it has changed to what it is now. And it is one and three fourths ounce dark rum, half ounce dry vermouth, a fourth ounce orange juice, freshly squeezed, a fourth teaspoon sugar. I put in a shaker with ice, shook it all up, poured it in a glass. Now, I changed it a little bit because it was super strong. I added more orange juice. Okay. And I added a little more sugar. Okay. It is still pretty strong. Yes. I mean, I couldn't sit there in the afternoon and drink this. And I don't think I put a full, it says one and three fourths ounce. I think I just did an ounce of the dark rum. 
Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. It's strong. I could only have one of these. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and like I said, I couldn't drink it in the afternoon, but <laughs> it's a good... Uh, and with orange juice, it is not a morning beverage either. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mm, go-to-bed time drink. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nightcap. Okay. Mom, so, let's hear a true crime story. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the very sad and unfortunate story of Alicia Hummel. Okay. Have you heard of this? This isn't a very well-known story. I actually don't think I have. I did speak via messaging to a very good friend of hers, and they really want to get the story of Alicia out. So they were very thankful that we were going to put this on our podcast. Okay. So. Great. Spread the word, Mom. It was a beautiful summer day, June 1, 2015. A perfect day to go fishing, which is exactly what 29-year-old Alicia Hummel did. Alicia had asked some friends to come along, but because this was another one of her spontaneous decisions, no one else was able to accompany her. That didn't stop her. She wanted to go fishing, and that's what she headed out to do. Her friend Bethany Swazini is who I actually messaged, and she said this, Her life was very much by the moment very much spontaneity Mm. she just went with things that's awesome i wish i could do that i i'm such a planner you are i wish i could just let's jump in the car and go do something but i'm like i have to check all the boxes and pack all the things and yeah write the schedule and yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm kind of a swing by the seat of your pants kind of gal i know i'm jealous of that so i can understand this hey i feel like i'm fishing today Hey, Obi, let's get in the car. Let's go. Oh, man. That sounds nice. (laughs) Fishing was something Alicia loved to do. And Marion Grove, South Dakota, was a state park that Alicia had visited before to fish. Alicia lived and worked in Sioux City, Iowa. And looking at a map, Marion Grove was only about 50 miles away. Okay. So nice hour drive. Yeah. She had just gotten her summer break. And this was the first day of her summer break. So she was going for it. Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about Alicia and kind of introduce her to you. She was raised by her grandparents, Jan and Dwayne Folkers, in Sioux City, Iowa. Alicia attended South Dakota State University after high school and graduated in 2009 with a Bachelor of Science in Human Professions and Clinical Science slash Human Development and Family slash Studies, which is psychology. So she sounds very intelligent. She went on. She loves school. She went on to graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Communications Disorders from the University of South Dakota. She did want to go on to get her master's. She was just, she loved going to school. She loved learning. That's awesome. On July 30th, 2011, while still going to school, Alicia married her high school sweetheart, Tony Hummel. He was her true love. And her friend Bethany said that she believes Alicia loved him till the day she died. Alicia was the type of person that would, this is from Bethany, if you needed a coat and she had a coat, she would give it to you. Mm. If you needed, you know, anything you needed. Tony's mother had gone into the military, I believe, and and he came from a military family. Okay. And so she thought, well, maybe that would be good if I went to the military because Tony had taken his father's, was helping his father in business. So 
maybe I went to the military. So she actually joined up in the military while she was going to college. Oh, wow. And she dropped out of college for a year to join the military. But while in basic, she got a medical discharge, um, which really upset her. She wanted to do this for Tony. I said she would do anything. It sounds to me like she would do anything. Absolutely. For her inner circle, as well as people outside of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are some problems in life as well as in marriage that can't be fixed. And although Alicia really tried, the couple separated in 2014. Mm. I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to air dirty laundry or anything like that. So we'll leave it at that. But she was really torn up about it. Mm. After graduating in 2012 from USD, Alicia got a job doing what she loved to do. She loved working with children. Mm. She worked at the Siouxland Family Center where she taught early head start for infants and toddlers. According to family... You have to be a saint (laughs) to work with a bunch of toddlers. Oh, infants too. Oh my goodness. According to family and co-workers, Alicia loved working with the children and their families. Good for her. And look forward to work each day. Now, how many people can say that? Yeah, that's so true. Well, I can, but... (laughs) I can't do, <laughs> but you're right. It's, I mean, there were some jobs I've had that I was not very looking true. forward to. It's it, very so. hard to find your passion and, and make a living on your passion. Yeah. So yeah. according to Alicia's obituary, which when reading it made her death all the more real and very sad for me personally, she loved life and was always smiling. She enjoyed scrapbooking, going to concert. <laughs> He was head over heels in love with Luke Bryan. Really? Oh, my gosh. In fact, they played a Luke Bryan song at her memorial. And she loved being outdoors, which included camping and fishing. She also had quite a collection of shoes and purses. (laughs) And from one obituary comment that I read, she really liked animal print. Oh, I love it, too. (laughs) Her friend Bethany wrote the following to me while we were messaging. Yes, the friendship we shared was and is very rare. You don't find people like her in this scary world. She stood by her friends, and if you were close to her, you were very blessed. And that's kind of the feeling I got just finding out about her and uh, reading comments on her obituary page and, I don't know, just getting to know Alicia. Mm -hmm. June 1st, 2015 was the first day of summer vacation for Alicia, as I said. She had a month off. And according to her grandmother, Jan, who spoke to Dateline NBC, Alicia, quote, knew the divorce was coming closer and just wanted some time away for herself to think. Alicia was a Catholic girl. And even just a week away from having the divorce finalized, she just could not wrap her mind around her and Tony, the man she still loved, divorcing. On her way out of the house that fateful morning, Alicia asked her grandfather, Dwayne, if he would help her clean the fish she caught when she got home. He agreed, and off went Alicia. That would be the last time Dwayne saw his granddaughter alive. Mm. One thing that Alicia often did was share her adventures via Snapchat and texting. (laughs) And this fishing trip was no different. According to Bethany, Alicia stopped in Vermilion at the house she and Tony had once called home. Her fishing supplies were still there. She did find her fishing pole, but not her tackle box. Her next stop was at the Walmart to get a fishing license. It's not known whether she bought anything else at that Walmart. Hmm. Okay. Friends knew she had gone to Marion Grove to fish because she sent a Snapchat pic of herself at the entrance sign. Then 
As she was arriving at her chosen spot, she remarked in a text to one of her friends, quote, must be a good day to get it on. Bethany thinks that Alicia must have seen two people making out or having sex as she went down. Oh, no. Into the oh, no. boat dock area. Later, while at the fishing area, Alicia sent some Snapchat photos of her on the boat dock holding her fishing pole. So, you know, they, she made it down there. Right. She did mention in those Snapchats that there were some people near her, but no one could be seen in the background of her pictures. Oh, shoot. So you can't question anybody. This area that Alicia chose to fish at is a well-known spot for fishing and boating, and it was a beautiful day. So people would have been there. Mm-hmm. But it was also a bit secluded, and in that there was only one road in and one road out. And there were two separate spots for parking. So one okay. was kind of on a higher level. And then you take the road down closer to the water. And that's where she chose to park. Okay. But the one, the place that she chose to park is kind of hidden. You can't really see it unless you drive down, further down the road and closer okay. to that spot. Okay. okay. In the afternoon, now here is a discrepancy. NBC article says that Alicia's body was found around 2.30. The Seattle Times article says it was around 3.30. Oh. Her body was found in the Missouri River at the edge of the water by the boat ramp by a state game fish and park employee who was picking up litter in the area. He immediately reported the grisly discovery to the police. An autopsy concluded that Alicia's cause of death was drowning, but it also determined that Alicia had suffered blunt force trauma to her head and an incised or cut to her neck, and they were contributing causes to the drowning. Hmm. Look befuddled. Her death occurred between 1.45 and 2.15. So if the NBC article is correct, that the employee found her around 2.30, that was right after she had been killed. Huh. The toxology report came back showing that there was no alcohol or drugs in her system. Clay County Sheriff Andy Howe told Dateline that Alicia's death has been ruled a homicide. It has never been shared with the public by law enforcement if there had been sexual assault. What? In fact, <sighs> not much about this case has been released because Sheriff Howe says that it is still an open case and there are some things that are being withheld that only the killer or killers would know. Sure, they do that in most cases. What we do know is that Alicia's car was found parked next to the boat dock, mm -hmm. that her cell phone was not at the crime scene and has mm. never been found. What's really strange is that, as I stated earlier, this was a warm, sunny day that originally would have brought a few people to the popular location for fishing and boating. But not one person has stepped forward to say that they were there that day. Even though, if you remember, she said she, she was not that, alone. Right. And her comment even, it must be a good day to get it on. There were people I mean, there. there were people there. That's terrible. Nobody's come forward to say that they were Nobody. there. Not a soul. That's just wrong. The biggest piece of information that has been released well, to the- hold on. I'm sorry. Have the police talked about this case, though, a lot? Where enough people would be informed that they have to come yeah. forward? Initially, okay. it was a pretty big case, yeah. Okay. The biggest piece of information that has been released to the public is that a dark sedan with tinted windows and a loud exhaust system was reported in the area on the day of the murder. I mean, but that doesn't really mean well, anything. Well, I'm going through going, I, I read so many articles on this, right? And I'm going, well, if nobody has stepped forward, how do they know that? Yeah. 
That's true. All they, all, you know, I was like, well, who reported that? So I asked Bethany. I was like, sure. I, I'm confused. Who reported that? It wasn't explained in yeah, any articles. And she said that the tip came from the park employee. So as he was driving down mm. into the area, okay, he saw the car passing him. Because remember, it's only one road down, one, you know, the same road going yes, back yes. up. He passed the sedan. So but they took that out of all the articles that are now posted that you can see. Mm-hmm. Now it was originally it was in an article that was posted online. You can't find that article any longer. The he said something? Yeah. That's that's what they're cutting out? They took that out. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Well, wouldn't he be able to say that there are more people there too? There is nothing more about this park employee except that he was down there to empty and he the heard trash cans. A dark cars no you can't even see that on the articles and that he found the body that's all that's all you can how bizarre yeah well did the police question him he could have done it too (laughs) no kidding jeez from what i can gather tips are still coming in nowhere as many as there were originally but sheriff house says that as long as leads come in the case cannot be considered cold Another interesting fact that was not in any of the articles, but was discussed on the podcast Murdered While Fishing, Crime Pursuit podcast, November 9, 2020, um, where Bethany is actually interviewed. Okay. And the fact was that a year after Alicia's murder, her purse was found by some college kids that were partying on a partying, say that, <laughs> say that word, partying, having a party on a big sandbar. I guess so in the washed river. up, maybe? They called the police the next morning and turned their purse over to them. Get this. Alicia's credit cards, some money, and her fishing license were all still in the purse, but no cell phone. Okay, so her cell phone is still missing, and this person just wanted to kill her? For what? I don't know. We don't know whether she was sexually assaulted. Right. This, this is something we don't know. They haven't released no. that. They haven't released any other information. Her cell phone is gone. And they did drag the, the river. But the Missouri River, as you know, you know, it runs well and it runs along Atchison. It's very fast moving. Mm-hmm. The fact that sh- her body where she was killed was on the side of the dock, not at the end of the dock, mm-hmm. was actually a good thing if that could possibly be said that way. Because her body was not washed out True. into the river. True. It was caught there on the side. Oh, so gosh. she was able to be found. Had it been at the end of the dock, which they think that, you know, her purse was probably flung out there, the river would have carried her body and she may never have been found. Jeez. So. And they can't track her cell phone? No. So it's been turned off. So I have... I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We, you know, as little detectives here. Did she take a picture of something she wasn't supposed to? Sure. I mean, she was constantly snapping pictures. She was constantly doing the Snapchat thing. Yeah. She didn't send a picture. She didn't to any of her friends or text anything to any of her friends Mm -hmm. that would indicate anything weird. But she did say something about that couple making out. She didn't take any pictures or anything, but she did say something about that. Hmm. And it was almost... You know, looking at these crimes, she was bashed on the head. Okay, so that was a distance thing. But then she was also cut on her neck. That's a more personal thing. And then she could have been fighting them off and they got close. So it all is just like, okay, you have to start with the why. Why did this happen? Especially if there is no, but there's no answer. Right. It wasn't a robbery, obviously. Exactly. Uh, Nothing in her car. Her car was still sitting there. 
So you kind of, we have to think, so was, was it for a sexual thing. It was, assault it was, or was it a personal thing? Yeah. I read the coroner's report. It was sent to me by Bethany and it was, uh, there was nothing on the report indicating any kind of bruises or anything like that. That would be more on the autopsy report. Mm-hmm. If I understand correctly, has not been released to anybody, not any of the parents or anything. Whoa, hold on. That doesn't seem right. Nobody's ever seen the autopsy report. That doesn't seem right at all. And I would think that the autopsy report would indicate whether she had been sexually assaulted. Absolutely. Well, that doesn't seem right. Now, in the interview that Bethany, you know, on the podcast, it was an open casket. And she went up to say goodbye to Alicia. And she said that it looked like she had bruises. And it looked like her fingers had been broken. Hmm. And it looked like she had bruises on her hands. But again, none of that is in the coroner's report. And it would be on the autopsy report, any of her any of her but injuries. Unfortunately, that could also just mean that she, again, was fighting back. True. But that would mean that she had turned around. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just a surprise. Oh, none of this makes any sense. No, it and doesn't. I do not like how the autopsy is not given to the family. It doesn't. That does not seem right or legal at all. I'm going to kind of throw this out here, too. Nobody knows who identified the body. Hold on. Nobody knows who identified. No family member identified the body. What? The husband wasn't in the area. He didn't identify the body. The purse was gone. Ooh. Now this is, this was from Bethany. She said, I, nobody identified the body. I don't know who identified the body. Unless they have her cell phone. Oh, that's a big piece of information though. Then police have her cell phone. That would be a huge piece of information that they're not letting they out. They could get everything from that cell phone. Who she is. Who she was married to. Oh, I know where that. Where she lived. Police tracked she me down when they, found my, when they found my cell phone. I mean, well, that's where my mind goes. I don't know. I'm going to go on and add a little bit more and then we oh, can... Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> I find it interesting that the information about the purse was never released. That they found the purse was never released to the public? Never released. Are you kidding me? It wasn't in Why? any... It wasn't in any articles. It was like, and that was only a year after her death. Good riddance. Like they're just done talking about it. And yet the case is still but open. But the case is still open. And we're still working on it. Oh, this just makes me sick. I, I don't know what's going on. I, I really, I really don't. In fact, I was told that the media seems to have totally lost interest in the story. For example, June 1st of 2020, which would have been the five-year mark since Alicia's death, mm. family and friends planned a ceremony of sorts at the fishing dock to remember Alicia. This was planned well in advance. And the information as to the date and the time and everything was sent to the news media. Like I said, they're trying to get this back into the Absolutely, press. They're trying to get course. her story out so people... People don't forget well, and keep, baffling. you know. baffling. No, Please but, tell me they did not. The media did not report on it. Are you kidding me? Not one, not one station, not one paper, nothing. No one showed up from any news source. This is infuriating. Yeah, now you know why, the, why her friends and family are so just beside themselves. I'm going to add here that some of the earlier news releases, you can't find them anymore. Oh, gosh. Nothing surprising. And like I said, one of which stated that the park employees saw the sedan. That article's nowhere to be found. I'm I'm speechless. That's a lot coming from me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) As for suspects, well, we've seen enough Dateline and other crime shows to know that the spouse has always looked closely. Yeah. And they are guilty a lot of the time. 
Law enforcement did look at Alicia's husband, Tony Hummel. Their divorce was never finalized. It was supposed to be finalized the next week. But Tony had a solid alibi. He was out of town with relatives. Of course, family and friends were also looked at, but they too were ruled out. The case remains the only unsolved crime in the county. And this is frustrating. Okay, hold on. It's the only unsolved crime in the county, but we're not going to publicize when people are doing a memorial or we're not going to release information to help get answers. Okay, that makes sense. And meanwhile, law enforcement is frustrated. Yeah, well, (laughs) I'm sorry. I think the frustration mostly on the part of the family and friends. family and friends. I just think that it's sad that Alicia's family and friends feel like they're alone and trying to continue the search for answers in her murder. It should not be. Alicia's friends run a Facebook page, Fighting for Justice for Alicia Hummel, on which they post updates as well as tell Alicia's story. And it was on that page that I contacted Bethany, who immediately replied to me. And as well as Paul, he helps run the Facebook and answer messages, but he did not know Alicia. He's just very, very committed to finding her murderer. Well, I'm about to join this group. And I, you know, I, I... messaged him and he messaged me back for quite a while and suffice to say that there are many questions out there. Bethany told me you have to fight for her because she can't tell her story. 100% totally on board. And that's why she will never give up looking for Alicia's killer. No. Her grandparents Jan and Dwayne are offering $5,000 for any information leading to a conviction in their granddaughter's case. Every year, they visit the dock where Alicia's body was found and put up a cross. They are still holding out hope for some type of closure. I don't know in this case if they will ever find anybody involved, Jan said. We can't get her back, so finding answers is all we have left. Oh, gosh. And what's really, I mean, my heart just broke for these grandparents. Her soon-to-be ex-husband is wanting all the money, like life insurance money. What? Yeah, but he did not, I don't know how much of it there is, but he did not offer one cent for her burial. Mm. Her grandparents took care of everything. But he wants the life insurance money. Of course. To go on and live happily ever after with his new wife. (sighs) Oh, I'm going to add here, if you have any information, South Dakota or anybody that was visiting there, if you have any information about Alicia's case, please, please contact the Clay County Sheriff's Office. I'll have that number posted on our website. Also, like I said, it's on Facebook, Fighting for Justice for Alicia Hummel. If you want to go directly there and contact Bethany. My gosh. I mean, it's just the right thing to do. If you were there, if you even saw her, we'll even post a picture of her. Even if you just saw her walking down to the dock to fish. And you remember Just what, come t- forward. Yeah. And you say, oh, well, I saw her alive at 1.30 or whatever. I'd I mean, be curious to know what time those Snapchats were sent to know kind of that timeline, which I'm sure Bethany and all of them have already put together. But there really isn't. If, if she was found at 2.30, there's not a large window of time. No, especially if between she Between would... the Walmart for, I mean, and well, all that. Like the, the coroner said she was killed. Well, I'm sorry. if I don't know if I even trust the coroner. But he gave an hour timeline. And that's pretty specific. Yeah. As far as time of death. So he must have, they must have used some of the Snapchat timeline. But there's one road. So there's one road leading in and one road leading that's out. That's it. Yeah. So somebody was there. Somebody saw something. There isn't even an hour. 
Her death occurred between 1.45 and 2.15. That's a That's half an hour. Minutes. That's very That's exact. That's 30 minutes. That's very specific. Oh my gosh. It's infuriating that they don't let them see the autopsy, baby. I mean, police do like to keep things so that, but I, I'm i not even finishing my train of thought because it's, <laughs> it's just, it's frustrating. It is. I mean, the more I looked into this, kind of, unfortunately, the angrier I got, I mean, this young woman who had so much potential and so much life in her positivity, yeah, was just her life was put to an end for no reason. I mean, there were none. It was senseless. And there's so many questions. Let's just find the answers to this. So mm. I'm going to leave you there in a state of total befuddlement and frustration. Yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Let's talk about ghosties ghosties yeah let's lighten things up and talk about ghosties okay i am going to be sharing about the bullock hotel in deadwood south dakota of course deadwood from my understanding the whole town of deadwood yeah. south dakota is i would be super surprised haunted. if you didn't cover deadwood okay <laughs> the town of deadwood dates back to the 1870s it started as a small camp and became a booming city with the discovery of Gold. Gold. <laughs> Good job, Mom. Frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> oh, boy. Deadwood is the epitome of the Wild West. It was a gambling, gunslinging town with hot shots like Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane. Ooh. Both are buried at the very haunted Mount Moriah Cemetery in town. Very cool. Even during Prohibition, the town was hopping with saloons, casinos, and brothels. It all stayed open and stayed busy. They weren't answering to no one. Nobody. <laughs> Anybody. Well, you're talking like Wild West, so you can say anything you want. <laughs> okay. Over the years, the town had many economic hardships, natural disasters, and fires. It was headed to becoming a ghost town until the good old year of 1989. Oh, really? And gambling was legalized. Interesting. And Beth was born. <laughs> but gambling was legalized, and the town <laughs> found its feet again. <laughs> Beth was born and saved it all. The whole town has so much amazing history. And I feel like most of the buildings there, which are all original, by the way. Wow. But most, if not all the buildings there in town are haunted by spirits. But I chose one in particular to chat about because it seems to be one of the most haunted in Deadwood. Okay. Which got its name, by the way, because its location of being next to a gulch filled with dead trees. Mm. <laughs> Get it? Dead wood. <laughs> oh. Let's chat about the Bullock Hotel. Okay. But first, I'm going to introduce to you two men, Seth Bullock and Soul Star. Bullock was a, quote, true Western, West, true Westerner, West, <laughs> Westerner, Westerner, gosh, the finest type of frontiersman. And that quote came from Teddy Roosevelt. And I didn't realize that my drink was Roosevelt and that that quote came from Teddy until just now. Came from Teddy. <laughs> See, Mount Rushmore had nothing to do with it. Oh, good old Teddy. I did not put two and two together till now. That's really embarrassing. He was born and raised in Canada. And as soon as he turned 18, he said, adios. Or I guess Canadians don't speak Spanish, do they? <laughs> but he said, see ya, and headed to Montana. 
He followed in the political footsteps of his father and worked on territory legislation with the Senate and was a very large part of the creation of the United States First National Park. Oh. Which was Yellowstone. <laughs> we are learning. <laughs> After that little gig on the Senate, he became sheriff of the Lewis and Clark County in 1873. But not only that, but he also became quite the entrepreneur and opened a hardware store with his buddy, Sol Star. Now, Sol, it was short for Solomon. Now, he was a businessman through and through. At a young age, he was sent to live with his uncle and learned how to be a merchant. The Civil War had him moving around from Missouri to Montana to Virginia City, but in every place he owned and operated some kind of a business. Seth and Soul did very well in their hardware store business in Montana. Life was good. Seth married his childhood sweetheart. They had a baby girl, but life was filled with more adventure for Seth, so he sent his wife and baby off to live with their family in Michigan. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you. <ya. laughs> Adios. <laughs> and the two men set off to Deadwood, South Dakota. With the discovery of gold out there, their oh. hardware business would do great. The two were just really good businessmen. They arrived with this ox-pulled wagon filled to the brim with mining equipment, frying pans, chamber pots, all the things that the men of Deadwood needed. Mm -hmm. And right away, they get there. They hold an auction, selling the items to the highest bidder. Oh my they made gosh. some big books just in that first day. What a way to do it. Like I They know. didn't have to jack the prices up. People just did it on their own. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. With that money, they bought a corner lot right there on Main Street and Wall Street and built a new hardware store and warehouse within a year. With that money that they made. With that truck or truckload. The that ox, ox, ox load. <laughs> ox load. <laughs> Moving on. Soon, Bullock was appointed sheriff of Deadwood. Before he was sheriff, the town was kind of going to hell in a handbasket. There was no real law. But Seth Bullock was strict and he meant business and he really cleaned the place up. One day in 1894, one of many fires hit the town of Deadwood. Now in the past, the successful hardware store survived the flames and everything. But this time the store was totally destroyed. Oh. All that was left was the warehouse building in the back because it was built of brick. The two businessmen took the opportunity and decided, well, let's just build a hotel. Wow. I don't know how they went from a hardware store to the finest hotel in Deadwood. I don't know, but they, probably they did. saw there was a need. The hotel was gorgeous. Built from the native sandstone from the local quarry, it was stunning. There were 63 guest rooms with a bathroom on each floor, stunning chandeliers, and gorgeous furniture in each room. There was a library, a parlor, and even a gourmet restaurant. Wow. Seth Bullock treasured his restaurant. According to the website Legends of America, the restaurant served delicacies as pheasant and lobster. Oh my gosh. Pheasant? I know. What? That's a delicacy? No, but seriously, lobster? No, I, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about the lobster, honey. <laughs> they had, had to have pheasant. it, like, transportation was not real fast like we have now. So Probably came in on the choo-choo train. Yeah, but, wow. Yeah, I know. Well, this restaurant was pretty fancy and is where I will start with the hauntings of the Bullock Hotel. Seth Bullock himself is seen all the time in the hotel's restaurant. It's a tall, thin figure that takes on a very I'm the boss kind of a feeling. You can just feel it when you see this apparition. He has presence. Absolutely. 
The feeling in the whole restaurant, especially by the staff left in the late hours to close up, is this feeling of like a watching presence. Like, you better do I'm, this right. <laughs> yeah, you better do every little step <laughs> oh, right. Geez. They're being watched and they know it. Plates and glasses shake from an unseen force and some have even taken flight and were thrown across the room. Huh? They apparently were not cleaned well enough. I'm thinking. (laughs) This happens if you don't wash those dishes right. There is a water spot on this glass. (laughs) Now, Seth is not just in the restaurant. He is seen all over the hotel. Apparently, he even helped a lost child find his hotel room. Really? Yeah. I'd like to know that story. That's all I got. I know. I'd like to know that story. I did that's too. Really and I looked everywhere. But that's just what it said is that his spirit was helpful. And he was just very proud of his hotel. And he helped a little boy find his lost. He was lost. And he helped him find his hotel room. Huh. Supposedly, Seth Bullock died in room 211. A shadowy figure has been seen over the bed on a few Ew. occurrences. Ew. Okay. So according to hauntedbullockhotel.com. Yes. There is a whole website dedicated to the hauntings of this hotel rooms 211 205 209 305 315 313 207 and 302 are the most active rooms okay the other ones are a lot of rooms the other ones are all haunted but these are most active yeah that's that's what i took away from it footsteps in the hallway taps on shoulders and no one is there cleaning carts being moved all the way down the hall. Ooh. These are regular occurrences at the Bullock Hotel. Really? Whistling seems to be a favorite among the spirits. Not only is whistling heard from unseen forces in the hotel, but when a staff member whistles or hums, paranormal activity seems to increase. Oh. And all of a sudden when you step into the hotel, you feel like whistling. <laughs> all Everybody the time. Is, everybody's whistling everywhere you go. It's like a whistling musical (laughs) (laughs) guests are affected by spirits but my favorite stories came from the staff members there is an old antique clock in room 305 it's very old and no longer works but without fail the clock will chime when staff members come into the room to clean it after guests oh my gosh isn't that bizarre all the time most of the time when they come in to clean that room that clock that doesn't work chimes but it doesn't chime when the guests are in there supposedly i mean i think they'd have complaints this clock keeps chiming the time isn't even correct it's not even running (laughs) (laughs) my favorite story was when a staff member went in to clean room 208 they cleaned the room they went to clean the bathroom and an unseen force turned on the shower spraying the staff member And started whistling. <laughs> so I rewatched the Ghost Adventures episode yes, where they I went to the Bullock Hotel. They did two episodes in Deadwood. And they dressed like cowboys. Didn't One, Zach dress like a cowboy? You would know that. <laughs> One of the episodes they did the Bullock, season 14, episode 10. To sum it up, activity started right away. You know how sometimes they goof around and they have like fillers and stuff and banter in the episodes? Do they? (laughs) Not this episode. Literally seven minutes in and Zach is already expressing that he needs to get out of the hotel. (laughs) Maybe you remember, but he was interviewing this bartender, John, who communicates with the spirits there. And the two you can tell are not really hitting it off. At the end, they shake hands to end the interview and John the bartender's hand he like pulls really fast away from Zach 
and walks away just starts walking in the hallway and it's like really bizarre and he said his hand had started to burn after he shook (gasps) zach's hand the two have like all this aggression and anger towards one another john states that the spirits are telling him to kill zach Oh my gosh, I vaguely remember this. I have to rewatch this. Zach is experiencing the same aggression too. And then he goes and tries to like confront John, but he's, John's like, I don't want anything to do with you. The two decide to go their separate ways. Now, I hate confrontation. (laughs) Doesn't John go outside? Yeah. Oh, I remember this now. Yeah. Yeah. And... If this was confrontation because the two were overtaken by spirits or the fact that the two just didn't like one another, either way, it was just very cringeworthy. Like it was (laughs) just, it was very uncomfortable to watch. But what's interesting is that Zach goes back to the stairwell where the aggression began between Mm -hmm. the two of them. And he seems to be overtaken by something. And what's interesting from what you and I have learned is not only is it floor to ceiling natural rock, from where the building was originally built, but it's on a stairwell. Mm, add so, those two together. Yeah. You have that stone theory that the spirits, it just it, sucks everything soaks, in. Yeah. yeah, it just soaks everything in. And then it's on a stairwell, which we learned from Lisa that it that happens on stairs all the time. Mm-hmm. So I just found that really interesting. Zach, of course, confronts the spirit. Show yourself now. Don't be a damn coward. And then he crumbles to the floor. His legs buckle underneath him. He is in absolute pain. We're being dramatic. We will never know. But (laughs) honestly, he really seems to be in pain. And he claims that he felt what seemed like a stab straight to his spine. Oh. The team captures whispers, not just EVPs, but whispers. Like, you can hear it. And even knocking is heard. It's a pretty good episode. Okay, anyway, you know how I always love to read comments on blogs and such? Well, I wanted to end with some comments from guests at the hotel that I found on the Haunted Bullock Hotel website. Oh, excellent. The first one is from Joe. Just stayed in room 204 last week. I received text messages related to my job at around 1.20 in the morning. I was texting back and forth about this issue. At some point, I went in to use the bathroom and sat my cell phone on the nightstand beside the bed. When I returned, the word saddle had been typed onto the screen. I had not typed that word. (laughs) Kind of freaky. Because how often in your, I mean, unless you're working with horses in your line of work, are you texting saddle? Yeah, but how does a spirit know how to use a text or phone? I don't know, but they did. (laughs) Okay, so to end my haunting portion of South Dakota, here is a comment from Beverly. In September of 2005, my husband and I stayed in room 209. The night was long with noises of slamming doors and what sounded like a child playing a xylophone, which seemed to come from the ceiling. Awful. (laughs) Came from the ceiling. Also, the TV would turn off by itself. I was awakened by a horn being blown. (laughs) Sorry. 14 times. (laughs) I counted. (laughs) Did this person know the place was haunted before they went? Because if not, they had a terrible experience. A xylophone and a horn. You oh have like, my gosh. You've got the makings of a good band. It came from the foot of the bed, but my husband didn't hear it. You <laughs> <laughs> might need to go get his ears checked. <laughs> I woke up once to find my husband with his head at the end of the bed and his feet by my face. <laughs> this sounds like quite the night. He had the TV on, but the sound muted. 
He told me later that he was awakened when someone had grabbed his ankle and he couldn't sleep after that. Guess having his feet in my face made him feel safer. (laughs) When we were leaving, I picked up my cell phone and noticed the screen was filled with the number four, as if someone pushed it over and over. Oh, and when we first got to the room, we noticed an imprint on the end of the bed, as if someone had been sitting there. The bedspread had a big bottom imprint. I took a picture of it, but at the time I wasn't thinking about ghosts. Only thought someone who worked there may have sat there to watch TV before we checked in and forgot to smooth the spread. When I got my pictures developed, I saw what I believed to be a ghost sitting there. Oh my gosh. We went to Mount Moriah Cemetery also. I have pictures of some strange things from there. I only had a disposable camera at the time, but the pics are pretty good. So if I need to send pictures as proof, I will get copies made and send them. P.S. I'm not a ghost hunter. And at the time, my husband didn't believe in them. Oh, at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Now he is a ghost hunter. (laughs) Wow. And that's in room 209. So go listen for a xylophone, horn. Was that one of the most active rooms? Mm -hmm. Did you list that? I'm sure I did. And all those numbers. Holy smokes. That poor lady. (laughs) God, what a night. So it doesn't sound like she knew what she was in for. I I don't know. So funny. Oh, well, (laughs) sure. Lighten things up. Thank you. Good. Cheers to our year, Mom. Cheers to our year. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, I want to see those pictures. I know. And I looked all (laughs) over and I couldn't find them because it was just a comment. Right. So it's not like I can. It's a comment on a website. I couldn't even go and find her. Trace her. I know. Message her because, you know, I have the guts to do it. (laughs) Dang, I'd have the guts to do that, too, because that. I want to see your pictures. Very much so. All right. That's what makes these haunted stories, though, is when we like those comments or when you guys send us your personal stories. It's the personal stories. I mean, because I could sit here and read you what I read online, but it's so much more fun. After a year, it's kind of starting to sound the same. There were knocks on the, you know, but your personal stories. Make each hotel different. Different. Exactly. Oh, keep them coming. You can email us your personal stories at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. And we will read them on our listeners episode, which comes out every seventh of the month. Unfortunately, this month, we will not be having a listeners episode. Mama had a pretty big surgery. So but we're not getting into all that. We're staying all positive. Everything's good. We are going to still ask you to send us your stories, though, because March's will just be an extra long episode. Right. I don't know how many people have commented to me. Wow, I grew up in a haunted house or I have my own personal experience so send those in i know even if you want to be anonymous just still send oh yeah unless you tell us we don't say your name so Mm -mm. absolutely you can find all the resources from mom's infuriating story and the hauntings of the bullock hotel on our website which is www.killerhangover.wordpress.com you can follow us on our website so you'll be alerted whenever we post on there so if you don't have a social media and you want to see pictures from our episodes as well those are on the website right but we are on facebook and instagram join our little killer hangover community patron uh yes patreon early releases Special little episodes. Yep. And first dibs at merch. First dibs at merch. Merch, merch, merch. If you're on Patreon, you know we have koozies and masks and shirts. Y'all get first dibs and then we will be releasing them to our on our social media platforms and on our website. But join us on Patreon. There's lots of fun on there. The link to that is in the description of this episode. You can also find that on our website. 
All right. This was fun. I'm happy we ended on a much lighter note. This was fun. The whole year has been fun. The whole year has been so much fun, Mom. Cheers, Mama. Cheers to Killer Hangover and to the next year. Cheers. Love you, kid.